Hey, it's Caleb Gus here from Friday the 13th. I was young Jason here at Days of the Dead and New Zealand Midwest Monsters Podcast. I'm excited. I'm sorry. I picked this topic. I love this movie. That's a scary movie. It's a scary movie. And it still affects me just the same. I cannot put that on. I gotta tell you, something about this movie worked for me. I was oh. like, it rocked. So, I mean, that's kind of, that's debatable. But, I mean, it's a great movie. That, you know, I, it's my right as a viewer, as somebody who spends my money and time to go watch these films, to have my opinions and be disappointed. But that's what I love about about this group doing this podcast right now, is that on so many pages, <laughs> we're like right there with each other. But then, I mean, it, it's it's almost inevitable that, uh, you know, half the time we're going to go, you're out of your mind. You are out of your mind. I'm sorry, <laughs> man. That's- Welcome to the Midwest Monster Podcast. And now, here are your hosts. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back. <laughs> Band champ. Yeah. We're man. trying to start a new episode. You're good, buddy. Go. We're trying to start. You're good. I, I'm enjoying this. This is a new episode of the Midwest Monsters Podcast. Yes. And I wish you would take this seriously. Oh, I take it very seriously. It's that poison. Yeah. That's right. Bad champ has taken a severe wound during yes, the CD's recording session. I got bit by something, man. <laughs> like, it, it legit feels like it's bigger than a horse fly. I just, I just want to put that out there. Yeah, his his ring finger on his left hand yeah. got bit. Yeah. And uh, it's almost twice its normal size right now. And what's funny is this is not a promotional stunt for the fly this evening. No. Oh, <laughs> I didn't think about that. Yeah. Yeah, this is not a stunt. This is a real deal. Stay out of his medicine cabinet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was a good movie. So, um, <laughs> hey. We're doing the Monster Mash. We I are. I don't know what number this is. It's be 10. Monster Mash, numero 10. Numero 10. <laughs> uh, let's go around, as we have before, and yep. explain uh, what film we chose. And, oh, we didn't even introduce ourselves. Yep. I am one of your hosts, Grizzly Abner, joined by my dudes. Mad Chan. Professor Wagstaff. All right, good, good, good. Now we've gotten these introductions out of the way. Right uh, let's talk about the films that we chose for the Monster Mash. Um, Professor, could you tell us what you have chosen? Street Trash. Ooh. It's one that I enjoy. It's uh, 80s sleaze. It's just a bizarre movie. Something we would never cover in any capacity otherwise. And it's just kind of got a cult following, especially around at the convention. Seeing you notice it on some t-shirts and stuff. A lot and, of t-shirts. Yeah, and I thought, it, I thought it'd be a fun one to cover. It's 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 a great t-shirt movie. Yeah, it's, it is what it is. You, It's called Street Trash. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just thought it'd be a fun one to throw in there. All right. Mad Jan, what did you choose? Uh, I chose White Zombie. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd never seen it before. Yeah. And I know the professor had, and we had talked about it once or twice. And um, I'm not a huge fan of, like, Walking Dead esque zombie i'm a huge romero type fan but i'm not a walking dead type fan and i wanted to get back to some roots of zombies and i mean the professor had a conversation one day about this would be a good movie and so when it came time to choose i chose this one he said the word roots and it's weird that some people say the word roots 
<laughs> I don't think you're funny. Uh, I think you're both funny. I think I'm adorable. <laughs> to- totes adorbs. Totes adorbs. I chose the fly. Um, and we're talking about Cronenberg's fly with Jeff Goldblum. Right. Um, I chose it because it's one of my favorite horror movies of all time. It's so good. Uh, it never makes my top five list. No. Um, but I'd say on any given day, it could be in the top ten. I just love this movie that much. I think it's so well done, well acted, you name it. Um, and that's why I chose to fly. Right and on, I man. recently got it on Blu-ray. I was very excited about that. So that's why I chose it. Right on. So, as I believe the format is going, we are going to start with White Zombie. Yes. Mad Chan. All right. So White Zombie, 1932, directed by Victor Halperin and written by... Garnett Weston. It stars Bella Lugosi as Murder Legendre. Le- How'd you pronounce that? Legendre. Mm. And then uh, Madge Legendre. And then Madge Bellamy as Madeline Short Parker and Joseph uh, Cathorn as Dr. Bruner. All right. Initial thoughts? This film, I love the imagery. You know, it's what really drew me into the movie. Um, and it's a good old classic Haitian-style voodoo zombie movie. You've right. got the, 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 the zombie master, you know, and the people are being turned into zombies for work. And that's the original zombie lore. And right. that's what it is. And so, yeah, I appreciated it for that. Uh, okay. Professor? Uh, it's a film I've seen numerous times, um, as many of you may know. I've been watching old horror movies since I was a little kid. I've seen this one multiple times before. Um, ironically, it's not one of the easiest older older horror movies to watch. That's right. you know, like I quietly kind of, not chuckled because that comes off as like condescending. I don't mean it that way, but when we picked this, I was like, it's kind of ironic that one of the tougher ones to watch is what we're tackling. Yeah, because like to me, if you can watch this movie. And pull things out of it that you and enjoy, and the merit in it, and get some some effect from it, then you're already in good stride for older horror movies because this one, uh, you know, takes a little little knowledge of film, I guess, you yeah. know, to pull from some of it because it's very close to the silent era and the early talkies where things are very stagey and they can't move a lot, and sometimes movies from that time period are tough to watch, so. No, I agree. But I felt the same way while watching it. Yeah, this this is the first zombie movie, though. Yeah. So where it began for that, if nothing else, it's worth covering on the show, even if. And I know right now, when I say that's where it began, somebody out there's going, "Well, actually, in the silent film era, there was this." But no, no, I get what you're going, man. Jim, it was interesting to me to watch this um, going back because I'm not a. Like we talked about before, I I appreciate all film and I appreciate art, um, but a lot of black and white films just don't do it for me. Yeah, and uh, I enjoyed this film, but it was weird going back and watching it because the pacing fell off compared to what we're used to today. Like today, there's a much, it's a it's an action beat every so many minutes. It's a something to keep the audience interested in in the ADHD world that we live in, and this is 
it's a completely different pacing. This was we're building up to a we're building up to an ending, whereas our movies build up to the to the three act, right? The three act beats, right? And then uh, I, the performances to me felt over exaggerated because back then that was acting. Acting was showing. It was portraying. So everybody knew what you were trying to come across. If you Especially were if you were yelling, things. you would you would over exaggerate with your arms, or if you were. Um, if you were trying to be quiet, you would you would yeah. tense up your body, kind of thing. It was that kind of acting. Yeah. So, I like I said, I enjoyed the movie. It was interesting going back and watching this for the performances of the certain people. Yeah, well, and to build off of that, you're exactly right because they're coming out of silent film and, and the stage, right? Exactly, and the stage. Right. Most importantly, that was the point I wanted to so, make. Um, yeah, I. Just for example, I hate Jeremy Irons as an actor. I think he overacts and he's ridiculous. Even a scar? Well, I've never seen The Lion King, and I get crucified for that quite a bit. I know the professor is pretty upset. He loves I, The Lion yeah. King. Uh, it's a circle of life, man. But uh, no, <laughs> but that's the thing. Like, I really just dislike Jeremy Irons as an actor, and most people are like, "Well, you Even do." In the Man in the Iron Mask. It's a great movie. Still, just like Jeremy Irons. Dead Ringers. But the thing is, it's because. Jeremy Irons is a trained stage actor mm-hmm. and he's fantastic at what he does on stage. But when he brings it to film, he can't tone it down and it upsets me. Yeah. Right and so that's where I see that. Like he some doesn't of that, have the Ian McKellen right. school of acting. Right. Yeah. Right and so I see that shining through in this film a little bit because everybody overacts just a little bit because they feel they have to, they came out of stage, they came out of uh, the silent films and that's, What's going on in this movie? No, right. that's, that's, how, that's the con- portraying of emotion. Right, right. And that's not a criticism. That's just a reality. This is the reality of it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You uh, want to know one of my favorite things from this movie, Chris? That? The guy looks and he's like, I like how the guy explains that he's been on a mission trip to Haiti for 30 years. Dude, if you've been in Haiti for 30 years, you ain't on a mission trip. You live there. Yo, dog, Stop. you live in Haiti. <laughs> you, you live in Haiti. Stop talking about them like they, you, they, they, and you, you. You live in Haiti. You've been there for 30 years. People go on mission trips for the weekend, two weeks, three weeks. This guy like, nah, I've been here 30 years. It's like you live in Haiti. Just own up to it, bro. Yeah. And yeah. that's the the weirdest thing I'm going to say. I just really enjoyed that scene because immediately that's the first thing I thought. It was like. Mission trips are like a week, dog. Like you just ain't going home. Well, and that's what I like about it. We get a lot of people from our area, the Midwest, who go on mission trips to Dominican Republic, Haiti, things like that. Yeah, yeah, I know uh, people that go on to Haiti. I've, I've been, I've been to Mexico on vacation, not a, a trip. But I can see that mystique. Your vacation wasn't a trip. Oops, I meant a mission trip. <laughs> no, I'm teasing you, bub. I, I don't know why you hate me so much. I just, I just uh, do. Um, so I don't hate you because you're beautiful. You're beautiful because I hate you. Beautiful. Um, I'm just saying that when you go to these places in the you know the the Gulf and the Caribbean and you know into uh, Central America and things right. like that, you get this um, tropic sort of thing that we don't get up here, and and it's that feel. And because we've watched these old movies, there are still some things that kind of creep you out, you know. Right. And yeah. so I like that feel about the movie. Professor, uh, just general thoughts on the movie. Yeah, man. Yeah, um, yeah, we're I, I think what's out. what's great about this, in terms of especially if someone is interested in older horror, 
like I said, it's tougher to watch, but there's a lot of good things to pull from it. A lot of things that are very common elements in these films. Right. Um, obviously, Bella Lugosi's one of them. Yeah. Who he man, he was one of the king of hams. He knows how to ham it up. I oh mean, he, yeah. And, and in a good way. I mean, perfect, he played bro. Jesus on the stage. He, I mean, he was a big time stage star. And so when he came you know onto the screen and played roles like dracula and obviously he got typecast into them but didn't want that initially but he's very commanding yeah i mean oh, yeah. Uh, some of it becomes tongue-in-cheek in his legacy because of like i said being typecast and some of the later roles that he was a part of um but this is him in his heyday this is when he is making some very important films for old horror and himself. I mean, just this same year, he's made like Murders in the Room Morgue, uh, The Death Kiss. I mean, obviously, he was in Dracula, Dracula the year before. Um, I, the Island of Lost Souls, the Dr. Moreau story, that right. was made the same year. Right. Um, so on an island again there with him. Uh, Don't but go yeah. on an island with Bella Lugosi. Yeah. Don't do it. Yeah. Well, it's a he, bad call. If he's the bad guy. Yeah. And there are some great scenes with him in there. I mean, the commanding zoom ins on the eyes. Yes, we yeah. pay, yes. you know, right. big dividends with that. Um, the scene with him outside with the vulture performing his ritual. Yes. Carving oh, with the man. vulture right over the side of him. Just, you know, waiting for the dead body. Oh, it's a great scene. And I mean, there's quite a few of them in this movie. Yeah. I have to. Can I can I jump in on this real quick? Yeah, do it. Man, there's um one of the things that I saw in this movie. That absolutely, I, I enjoyed so much. There's a two shot of the fiance or the the husband and the old man when they're in the room together, and he's explaining that the woman might not actually be dead. It was great. It was a great scene. It's a, it's an everlasting two shot that follows, drops characters, picks characters up, pans in. Mm -hmm. And the old man even flubs two lines. Are you talking about when they're sitting at the desk? Yeah, yeah. yeah the old man scene. flubs two One lines cut. and keeps going. Like, it's almost like we're talking now. Like, we mess up and then continue going. And it it's, goes on for five, seven minutes. It's great and, and camera it's work. One shot. No cut. No anything. And that, they held it. Yep. That was amazing to me. Yeah, dude. I'm glad you mentioned well, that. I'd forgotten oh, about that because no, I, I noticed it while they were doing it. They yeah. don't miss their marks. Oh, yeah. The camera you just moves. You don't see that anymore well, because wait. in the ADHD world we live in, we we cut the camera. We cut the camera no less than every few seconds. We cut yeah. to something else to keep you interested in a storyline. These two men held you in a frame for five, seven minutes, man. And I thought that was awesome. Well, what do you mean she's not dead? I saw the body. You know what I mean? Right. Like that yeah, whole yeah, yeah. build up. Yeah, no, absolutely. It was a great scene. Just what, for the record. Mean? What do you mean? You know, like yeah. she is the white zombie, by the way. Right. As the virginal bride. Right. Um which is racist. <laughs> uh speaking of racist, <laughs> um, no, the coach driver, I just wanted to point out his yeah. name is Clarence Muse. Yep. He had a PhD. He co-wrote When It's Sleepy Time Down South with Louis Armstrong, oh, wow. among an endless wow. list of other things. But he was a fantastic performer. He had all these different roles where he'd pop up. Um, but yeah, it's just, I don't know, something about this movie that I like. And I think it all just kind of floods into each other. Even some of it being just by chance, like they shot at night. So you see their breath. That's because right. you wonder, you're like Tropical Island. Mm -hmm. And we see his breath. Well, it's because they're filming at night yeah. um, on a lot of the Dracula sets. 
um, being regurgitated there. It's it's a paramount release, but right. th those are universal sets. Uh, this stuff got switched around and bought all the time. Um, but I, I think for me, the the two most things that I always take away from it the most effective were Lugosi's eyes and that main hulking zombie, which you oh, probably big, yeah. recognize from the cover of uh, William K. Everson's book, uh, Classics of the Horror yep. Film. Yep. Where he's got him on the steps, I think. Yeah, right, but, exactly. Yeah, got got him from that. Um, but yeah, I mean, to me, if nothing else, this is worth watching because it's early Lugosi and because technically it is the first zombie film right, to watch. Right. Now, it's not obviously in the sense of what we come to know from R Romero's movement right, right, and all that, but voodoo-driven. Yep. Yeah, there you right. go. And it, you know, and it reminded me a lot because I love Val Luton's I Walked with a Zombie. Mm -hmm. uh, and it reminded me a lot of that. I mean, you get some callbacks to that. I... I gotta be honest, I like Luton's film better, but I, you know, a lot of the same feel. Yeah. A lot of the same feel. See, uh, one of the things I absolutely loved about this film was the blur effect. Yes. Mm -hmm. Like, and that was just so, that was the, and, and I'm sure they did, and I don't know, and maybe you know, Professor, was that an in camera? That was an in camera trick, right? They used mm -hmm. the actual blur out effect of, of the focusing yeah. to make us drift away as the zombie as the zombie was going and then come back into focus later with her yeah and how he comes back into focus i was like that's so awesome because like if, if even if this was silent you could understand mm -hmm. that everything that was clear before has now become hazy because you're he's drifting into a zombie yeah i thought that was absolutely because you don't even see things like that now yeah. and that's the most clever simple way of telling that transformation yeah dude that was awesome i really enjoyed that and i don't get down on a lot of these movies guys like i really don't i'm a i if i mean i'm sure our listeners know like i love the flash i love the the horror gore the horror core i'm that kind of person and going back and getting to watch something like this it really did like just seeing the little simple things the blur effect was like that's so amazing yeah. i've still got my questions i've still got my problems with it but they're not as much as they were on something else that yeah. we watch, you know, like franchises that we watch. Right. Like my little ones were like, I, I, I feel like Lugosi was the only one who didn't have to do any acting in this movie. Yeah. Like everybody else, everybody else was portraying and he was just so natural. Mm -hmm. He's like, I know that I understand maybe not just this character, all characters of this persuasion. Like he just felt so natural in that role. Like, especially the part you were talking about where he's carving out his, He's carving his stones, mm -hmm. or not his stones. He's carving his uh, his his dolls or his people. I thought that was just so great because he's got a knife and he's just whittling away, and he's carrying on scenes as if he's he's not even acting. He's just this is what he's doing in the yeah. moment, and that's so different because you can see somebody from today's standards have to be like, okay, so now I'm running and I hit my mark and I scream. And he just did it so yeah. flawlessly. That, I thought well, that was awesome. Well, that's something interesting, too, is if anybody takes the time to explore into Lugosi's career, you'll find with the movies where he embraced it, where he fit the role, man, he was good. I oh, mean, yeah. you watch something like Son of Frankenstein. He's, he plays a very sympathetic character in that, some of his best acting. And he, and he, he embraced it. I mean, he really was only a ham in, in situations where I think think he felt like he had to do that to make the movie better because he didn't believe in it um but in this he along with you know the direction i think just making an interesting movie there's 
there's some things left over from the silent era, like something I made note of that I liked was the scene with Neil in the bar. You, he is the only one you see right. and the, the shadows and then the it's wall. all yes. shadows. Yeah. So you literally get to visually feel the alienation this guy's having yes. while he's drinking without being hammered over the head with it. And that's very German silent style right. with what they're doing. And just little things like that. I think just make it an interesting hodgepodge of what was to come and what it, where we had just been in film. So it's a, it's an interesting transitional time. Um, you also have an early appearance from Jack Pierce, who would bring you much of the makeup effects that you know from the Universal monsters right. uh, coming up in near years. So, let's be honest, the climax is pretty intense. Talk about uh, Bell off the cliff. Yeah, right on. Yeah, the zombies closing in, and you don't know who's going to make it, who's not. Well, and the here's, I guess this and is the my... screeching raven. I mean, that adds mm-hmm. a lot of intensity to any yeah. film that's in. Or like, Rah! I mean, it's kind of annoying, but at yeah. the same time, makes it effective. Intense. Here's my question about this, and I'm not being at all facetious. I really want to know. How was she not affected? Because she was dead, correct? Am I not? I just want to understand this. Um, I'm not I'm not tearing this apart. I'm just honestly. So she goes to her grave and then is resurrected and she becomes she's the white zombie. Yeah. But yeah, all of the other zombies, when they kill Lugosi's character off, like they've all gone off the cliff. So would they have all come back? As and, people, or because she was the only one who didn't go off the cliff, or she's the only one we see come back into our liveliness. Plus, she was dead, right? Well, no. See, that's my question. They're brainwashed. Right. And that's the thing, as as somebody who has studied a lot of traditional voodoo and So, it's more stuff. like Serpent the Rainbow style. Yes, okay. exactly. So, traditional voodoo make sure real quick. and okay. traditional zombies are what would happen is you would be given some sort of poison to where you would appear dead. Okay, so so that is what happened. For all intents and purposes to your family, you have died. And and then you would be brainwashed, put into a trance, where you would serve the bidding of a zombie master. So that is what traditional voodoo and zombie stuff was. Well, see, and that's I guess that's why I was wondering, because the, the gentleman who drinks the wine, who throws Lugosi off the cliff. Yeah. Like, we get to watch his transformation, but he says, you're the only person who knows what's that I've ever had that knows what's happening. Exactly. So I didn't know if that was a, oh, so everybody else was dead, or you're the only person because you know that's what I do. So that was my only question about it. But, I mean, I still, I thoroughly enjoyed the movie. Awesome. That excites me. Yeah. Cool. Like, I'd be open to, and I'm going to say this right now, I'd be open to more like this because I feel like I got a little more out of it from the early days of cinema. Mm -hmm. Like I said, because there were things in here that weren't even story-driven that really excited me. Yeah. Like the two-shot and the the way they expressed themselves. Like, there were things that just excited me about watching this movie. And it wasn't what we expect now. Like, it was an hour and, like, six minutes or mm-hmm. something like yeah. that. A lot like, of them are slick I could, like that. I could just get through this movie. And I don't mean get through it. It wasn't bad. I'm just saying I could get through and watch this entire movie and not dread, like, what's coming next because it was there. It's there. Yeah. yeah. And, then, you know, to be honest with our listeners, I mean, yeah. there were a lot of things that I loved, but a lot of things that bored me. Mm-hmm. Right you on. know? But that's because that's it's just a different generation. Yeah. You know? Um. I think a mystique that this movie keeps that I will always love is just, as I said earlier, when you go on vacation or a mission trip to someplace, I mean, you are just never sure. 
You know, I, when I was in Mexico and I was getting taken to a timeshare presentation, I was not sure that I wasn't going to lose my organs. Why? Because I've watched a lot of scary movies. Right, so right. People go. I had some friends who went to uh, Jamaica for, I mean, their honeymoon. They were going to Sandals, you know, where Michael Scott went. And uh, they're not sure they're taking this late night cab ride to the resort. And they're not sure that something is going to happen on the way happen. there. Right. Right, right. And that's what... This is where this came from. This is where it began. This is where our mistrust of anything out of our ordinary in foreign countries began. And see, it's so great because it's just a story. Right. It's just a story. And early on, to know that this movie was made in the 30s. Right. And even in the 30s, they were like, hey, uh, if you go down here. Things could happen. And let's be and honest. It's, it's exotic fact, because and, most people hadn't been to Haiti. So it was exotic. It was something you, you're you not exactly familiar right. with. Well, and let's be honest. I joked earlier and I said racist. But right. the fact that it's called White Zombie that plays on some of your fears in the fact that you could go to these places and it's not just going to happen to the locals. It could be you. Huh? You could right. be the White Zombie. It's the... Uh, I call it the, and, and granted, like, it should probably be the white zombie or the whatever effect, but it's the hostile effect. Yes. Right. No, and and exactly that's the, right. that's what I've always, that's or at least and since that's hostile what, came that's out. What I that's what Mexico I call it. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah. the hostile effect that you're just like, oh, I'm in a foreign land. Anything could happen. Right. But that kind of thing could happen to you just as easily in America. We just right. don't think about it. Right. Because movies have conditioned you're us. You're more disarmed. Yeah, yeah. Movies have conditioned us yeah. to feel yep. like you should be on your guard when you travel outside of our country. Right. So I don't know. That's neat, but no, I, I'd be open to watching more black and white movies. Cool. Because I was I was into it. Professor, any closing thoughts? Um, if this movie interests you at all, check it out. Um, I would recommend if you dig this, check out one made the same year. I mentioned it earlier, Island of the Lost Souls. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm gonna try that one. It's it's excellent. H.G. Wells. Uh, yes. Yeah. And Criterion put out a very nice edition really? of it. Um. So, yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of merit in this. If, if you have the interest, then seek it out. I mean, don't try and force yourself to watch them. You have yeah. to go, You have to be understanding and what cognizant of what you're watching. Right. Because if you just go into it watching it for a movie, you're not going to get out of it what is all of, all that is there to take from it. It's, I mean, this movie's coming up on 100 years ago. These are made for different audiences. But yeah, there is okay. a lot of interesting things. And I don't care what anybody says. Black and white is scarier sometimes. Yeah. It is the in, it's just the internal core. I don't know if it's the little kid thing, the late night scary black and white movies, but sometimes the imagery in movies like this or Dracula, I mean, that stuff it's potent in a way um, that you, makes you it worth think, watching. You think of the reveal in Phantom of the Opera. Mm-hmm. You think of Dracula. You think of Wolfman. You think of Frankenstein. I mean, those reveals, I mean, those are shocks from our childhood that will always stick Yeah, with us. and they hold up. Yeah. So I, I, I always encourage people to, you know, try it out. Just right. uh, be open to it. And to, to me, everyone's different. Some people can't get over it, and that's understandable. I mean, at the end of the day, this is entertainment. This is yeah. leisure. I mean, if it truly does not entertain you, don't torture yourself. Right. But I think for many of you, if you haven't already, it's kind of like subtitles. After five minutes, you're in. It, you're in the movie. Yeah, you're used yeah, to watching yeah. it. You just got to give yourself that adjustment and know what you're adjusting to going into it. And, there, and if, if you do that, man, we got a lot of movies we can cover on the show. See, man, there's a, there's a, in that where you're talking about going back and watching film, 
Like, there's a lot of Westerns, like, that I saw as, as a child with with relatives that I just can't get back into now as an adult. Because back then, I was so willing to soak up information in movies that I let myself be drawn in by black and white, the good guy always thwarts the bad guy kind of yeah. Westerns. And now I can't do that. So I really wondered when I chose this movie, are you going to sit down and give it a fair shake? And I'm glad I did. Cool. Um, just one last fun tidbit yeah. on this movie. Six day shoot. I thought it was 11. Six. Six? They filmed this movie in six days. That's oh, crazy. wow. That's why it, that goes along with seeing their breath at night. I read Like I gorilla read 11, style so almost. That's, that's, even, that's even better. Six days, yep. Wow. But then again, that was the machine that was filmmaking back yeah. then. They were like, we've got a cast. We've got a script. We've got real actors. We've got the sets already, so let's just go. Yep. So that's why they use those old Dracula sets. Yep. I enjoyed Why tear them down? You got them there to use. Exactly. Fun fun conversation. Yeah, dude. That was real good. Um, do you want to move on, Gris? Yeah. Yeah, let's move on. Gris, you want to go next? Uh, yes. I think we should. Oh, with the fly? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. So the fly. Uh, I chose. Yes. Um, you know what? I, I want to be full disclosure here. I've never seen the original with Vincent Price or... Return of the Fly with Vincent Price. It was hard for me to not sing that. <laughs> Help like him! Mr. Help him! <laughs> with Vincent Price. No, um, are you singing the Ramones? The Misfits. The Misfits. Yes. Much better band. <laughs> um, I met Doyle. <laughs> nice. Um, Doyle rules. So no, I've never seen the original Fly, but as I said, I chose this because this is one of my favorite horror movies, and rewatching it on Blu-ray. Um, my God, it's a masterpiece. I'm, I'm just, I'm gonna throw it out there, and I don't say that often. Right. This movie is a masterpiece. My friends, your initial reactions. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and give you the the lowdowns real quick. Is that okay? Yeah, please. Uh, The Fly, 1986, directed by David Cronenberg. Cronenberg, and uh, the writers on this are tagged as David Cronenberg and Charles Edward Pope. And the reason I this means a lot to me because I was going to a convention a few years ago that Charles Edward Pope was at. Cool. I wanted to meet the man that wrote The Fly. And a local filmmaker in our area looked at me and said, Cronenberg wrote The Fly. I don't know why this guy's here. Hmm. And this guy was, and I was like, no, no, no. It says that he a says that he wrote the. From Richmond, Indiana? Yeah. Okay. But anyway, he was like, no, no, no. Cronenberg wrote The Fly. I don't know why you think that this guy would have anything to do with it. <laughs> Come to find out, uh, Charles Edward Pogue did write The Fly. Yeah. And Cronenberg rewrote a lot of the scenes of his own, but Cronenberg is the one who makes word makes made sure that Charles Edward Pope got the credit because without that story, it would have never shaped what Cronenberg actually produced. Right. So I want to give big ups to Charles Edward Pope. And honestly, nice. and, and back then that did kind of sway me yeah. because I was like, oh well, if Cronenberg's the guy that wrote the fly. I'll just wait and meet him. Yeah. And honestly, like that, Matt, the guy was sitting right there the whole time. Um, we got Seth Brundle played by Jeff Goldblum, Ugh. who I think is absolutely amazing in this movie. Um, Veronica uh, Quaif, Quaif yep. played by Gina Davis. And then Stathis Baranis played by John Getz. And those are really the main three, but those are the only three that you really need other in really, this movie. Yeah, I mean, Cronenberg makes it, makes his pop in, in the, in a scene. Mm -hmm, I'm sure we'll talk about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cronenberg makes his pop in. But other than that, these are the only people you really need to carry this movie. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's it, I like the way you said that. It's very stage-like because you could almost do this movie yeah. on stage. You don't change location much. No. <coughs> Professor, initial thoughts. Um, seen it before. Yeah. Uh, I like it. It's, I, it's not my favorite Cronenberg film, um, but I enjoy it. I mean, I think it's a good movie. I like the original. I like the way the remake had a reason for a remake yeah. and utilized it in terms of what they could get away with what technology was available. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's a great movie. Um, Chan, you gave us the rundown, but I want to hear your initial thoughts. On the um, I love the way this movie just starts and keeps rolling, man. Like, there's no, there's no big buildup. There's no big buildup. We, we come right into, we see Seth Brundle talking to Veronica. We see Brundle talking to Veronica at a, at a social <laughs> mixer, and she's made it apparent that she's there to interview him. Right, and then when she feels like he has nothing to say, she tries to get away. Yeah, she's ready to roll. And he's like, "No, no, no, let me show you." And then we go into his story. So it just kind of starts. There's no big. This is what I'm doing. It's not working. We just kind of pick up where, hey, I've got this, yeah. and I really enjoyed that about this movie because it gives you that time to go. Oh, okay, I've, I've got to catch up. And so you're more interested right off the bat, like what's going on, than and you're waiting for a movie to tell you what's going on. Now it's just like, oh, this is happening. What's happening? I need to figure it out. I love that. Yeah. Man, I got to tell you, I was introduced to Jeff Goldblum in my life with Jurassic Park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's where I first met Jeff Same Goldblum. character, by the way. Identical. <laughs> Identical. Identical. Okay, and let's be honest, Jeff Goldblum has enough range. He's played things besides Jeff Goldblum, but there's a lot of movies where Jeff Goldblum is Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, it's like Christopher Walken. Right, right. Unique, the unique talking. Right, and Bill Paxton. Commas where you want. Bill Pullman. You know, like, they, they play a lot of the same guy. But, um, man, uh, Goldblum is just captivating in this he movie. He is this movie. I he mean, is. Oh, he's everything that's and, great. And you're right, and he plays the same character in Jurassic Park. Uh, you know, let me explain to you what. Uh, so the movie here is what? How should I say? Very good. <laughs> I mean, right. he's he's got his own cadence, right? In in the vein of a walking that really just can carry a movie like this, and it's not annoying. Yeah, because it's just his character. It's just who he. Yeah, because is. it fits. Yeah, right. He's a quirky scientist, mm -hmm. and that's what he plays in Jurassic Park. I feel like. Uh, you know, they go to him, they're like, we want you in Jurassic Park, play Seth Brundle. And he's like, I can do that. Indep <laughs> Independence Day, I mean, he hasn't yeah. had a long list of big roles, but the ones he has had that were big fit. Right. Yeah, he was great in them. And he's quirky scientists yep. in each of them. <laughs> and I want to point out that um, Gina Davis in The Fly tells him something went wrong. Which is the same line that Ellie Sattler tells him in Jurassic Park. Uh, Something went wrong. Nice. And both of his characters are guys who wear the same clothes every day. <laughs> That's right. That's true. So That's he's right. literally the same character, almost the same character yeah. in both of these movies. I yeah. did want to point that what out. Is, uh... And one thing before we get started about everything else, can we point out the Mel Brooks factor real quick? Mel Brooks. Okay. <laughs> for, <laughs> We're waiting for Okay, you listeners. Know. Okay, fine. <laughs> listeners. Uh, Mel Brooks, um, you may know Mel Brooks from. Things like um, I don't know, Spaceballs, uh, Blazing Saddles, Young Blazing Frankenstein, Saddles, Young Frankenstein. Anxiety, Mel Brooks Robin was a Hood hardcore 
producer on this movie and purposely kept his name off of it because he wanted this movie to get the respect that it deserved as a as a horror movie and what it could be. So Mel Brooks kept his name off of it until he showed up at the premiere and then started doing Mel Brooks antics because the movie was made at that point. Yeah, that's but cool. He was a hardcore producer on this movie, and that's kind of awesome for you to take yourself out of because how easy would it have been to be like, put his name like Mel Brooks because he was so well known. So I just wanted to point that out before cool. we get into the that. things that are deep about this movie because no there's a lot of things that are deep yeah. about this movie. But, uh, what is your what is your dog's name? Cody. <laughs> All right, go ahead. <laughs> Be still, Cody. Go ahead. Oh. Are you here to rescue me? In that case, I fold. <laughs> um. So Gina Davis comes over with her Betamax recorder, yeah. which I love that. Uh, and they're just going to start the process. And he's explaining how he has invented, um, it's not time travel, it's teleportation. Right. It's teleportation. You right. know, so you get into this honeycomb and you teleport into the next honeycomb. But the <laughs> like problem you is, call the honeycomb. I love that. That's, that's brilliant. But the problem is he's only been able to do it with inanimate objects. Right. He puts a baboon in and it turns inside out. And it's right. pretty nasty. And that's what Cronenberg does well. He shows you nasty. Yeah. Right. And that inside out baboon was legit. Yeah. Horrifying. Yeah. And um, so he's doing inanimate objects and it's working and it's going well. And, uh, you know, Gina Davis is a writer for a science magazine. Right. And this is going well. But actually, he wants her to make a biography about. All of this. And the reason being was that he didn't want his story to be out. Until it was ready. Right. But if you're going to do this, why not be in it 100%? Exactly. Which is an awesome concept. Right. Right. So he's sticking with it, sticking with it, and then he's sticking it to her. You know? (laughs) That happens kind of quickly, man. Yeah. And it involves her more deeply into the story. But you can see why it happened because it fuels later on. Right. So, no, I mean, it was a good thing, but and because, it's just kind of weird how that first night of filming, she's just like, you wear the same thing every day? And he's like, no. And she looks in his closet and then comes back. She's like, let's get out of here and get some food. Or, and she leans in and just starts kissing him. Yeah. So what makes this movie great, though, is how slick it is. Yeah. It immediately so, ties her. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, and you can't blame Gina Davis. Because Jeff Goldblum's hot? Yeah. I was thinking vice versa. <laughs> yeah, and that's fair too. Gina Davis. You, you can't that's blame that. You can't blame the genius for going right on. It's Gina Davis. And she's a babe too. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so you get that, and right. then um there's just this problem that arises where her editor, ex-boyfriend, is jealous and is gonna expose everything, and she leaves. And I love this. This is a perfect setup because this is this is male 101. It's almost textbook 101. Right. She leaves. He gets drunk. And he goes, you know what? I think I figured out the code. I'm going to transport myself. And let's be honest. We've all done dumb things when we've been under the influence of alcohol. <laughs> yeah, I like what you said, alcohol. But <laughs> go ahead. Go I have that. I have when you've been under the influence of madness. And... Um, and he gets in the honeycomb, and there's a fly with him in there. Can I interject real quick? You may. The only, the only negative thing I have to say about this movie involves that. 
and it was an afterthought, and it's written down way below the rest of my notes. The only problem I see with this entire movie is that he would have never gone through himself. They proved earlier in the evening when he was drinking drinking at the party that he can hold his liquor, but yet he's had half a bottle of champagne and he's so drunk that he's going to send himself through. I know it's a catalyst to get the movie going, but he's also the type of scientist that would have never would have built up one a fail safe into the equipment, and two he would have never gone through without double checking, triple checking where he was at. So that was the only thing I didn't see because they set him up to be so brilliant. That was the only flaw I saw with this movie. Seriously, like the rest of it. I mean, there's a there's a fly in this movie. A man that turns into a fly. That's the only flaw I saw with this movie. Is he's so brilliant that I don't think a temporary lapse in judgment would have led him that far astray. That's that's, that's all I want to say. That's fair. Is that fair? Well, yeah, that is fair. Okay. Uh, previously, I forgot to mention that previously he does successfully transport the baboon. Mm-hmm. Yes. It goes through. And I do love that he gets drunk and talks to the baboon about... I like how you call it a baboon. 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 And... Um, it gets in, and the fly is there, and uh, at first it doesn't seem too catastrophic. He feels Christ-like. He feels born again through teleportation, as he says. I like that. And uh, and he can he does those flips, those mm-hmm. gymnastic tricks, and it's amazing, and it's and it's believable. Obviously, probably a stunt person doing it, but it's believable because Goldblum's in good shape. Yeah. And uh, right. And then uh, things take a bad turn. Can I say that there's some points in this movie that genuinely freak me out? Yeah. I mean, like, genuinely freak me out? I can't say that about a lot of movies. Like, there's por- there's par- portions of this movie that I find hard to watch. Oh, yeah. And they all come post-Jeff Goldblum flipping around <laughs> on the gymnastic <laughs> wheel. Professor, you're dying to talk. I, I find can tell. this. I find this disturbing in different ways. It's a very alienating movie. Yeah. Um, you feel very isolated within the apartment and what this guy's going through. You can look at it on a more grandiose scale of um, some kind of, you know, illness or affliction that someone goes through at home and, and the just walls caving in on them as it gets worse and worse and worse. There's all these, these bigger elements that go down to the core of what we're watching. Um, I think it it is an absolute perfect blend of, of dark comedy with the body horror. Um, it's just enough to keep the viewer engaged instead of a, a relentless onslaught of horror. Um, I think the stuff falling off and his reaction is just, just enough, um, to blend really well. Really my only complaint with the movie, uh, is, is Gina Davis. I find her just kind of flat. Um, and she doesn't, she doesn't hurt the movie. I don't, and I don't mean to say that, but I personally feel like if we had a more, uh, colorful or charismatic female, in this movie, um, that everything would be more powerful, right? It would be more entertaining on a, on a, on a, on a higher scale. I don't know how to explain it because she's a talented actress. It's, it's just, she didn't fit the part for me. So we're at 86. Are you saying something like, let's say we had a Kelly LeBrock in there. Yeah. just, I don't know. She wasn't very colorful, right? It's just hard for me to, to sympathize with her character. 
or anything that she's going through because, quite frankly, I, I don't care about her. Okay. I find her flat. That's character. I don't yeah. find her – she doesn't detract from the film, but I think that would have made it even stronger. Um, but for the most part, though, I, I, I really like the film. I will say, and I'm just going to lob this out to the Grizz here, I find it a little surprising because this seems really dark for you. Yes. Yeah. For, I for, yeah, I yeah. agree. And that's not a jab at you, just for right. your personal preferences and tastes in film. Right. This just seems like a downer yeah. for one that you would like. I mean, that's not a bad thing. Right. It's just kind of surprising. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. And uh, it's it's kind of a modern-day Frankenstein tale. Yeah. Because it is um, – and it's interesting because while it is kind of a modern-day Frankenstein, it also isn't. It is – man trying to play god but it also isn't you see what i'm saying like he's not trying to create life but he's trying to what i feel is change the laws of right right natural laws that are laid out and you guys know me that even though i am a man of faith i'm a science guy you know and if we could figure out how to teleport i figured we would have figured that out by now and jeff goldblum isn't going to figure that out right and um yeah, we're trying to manipulate the laws of physics, which I don't feel is is right. <laughs> you can't yeah. do that. Um, yeah, so for me, it is because it's very much, it's, it's a science cautionary tale. It is. And while it may not be Frankenstein, we have plenty of cautionary science tales out there. Yeah. And that's what I like about it. But also, not only is it terrifying, not only is it amusing, mm-hmm. there's a lot of humor to it. But it's very human. Yeah. It's very human. And we'll talk about that later. Right on. Um, but, and I think, I mean, Madge Ann and I talked about that earlier. Yeah. It's very human. Um, because yeah. Jeff Goldblum, besides the his mistake of going through by himself without anybody there, and which ultimately cost him his mistake, Jeff Goldblum really is the guy who's like, I want, an advancement in science, not to be rich, not to be famous, because I have motion sickness. He's got very human yeah. reasoning for yep. for doing what he's doing. And that's, I think, one of the things later is because you get to see this man turn into a monster and lose his humanity and then watch it come back to him. Mm-hmm. Because he, he turns into the monster. Yeah. And then realizes that he's a monster, which most people in a lot of the movies we watch can't do. They can't get inside themselves and realize what they've turned into and why they've turned into it. And the, I think that's what makes the fly so appealing is this man realizes he's a monster and why he's there and then turns that back into his old self. Cause I mean, we, I'm going to skip over a lot of my notes to go to this. There's the scene where he's explaining how he eats now. Yeah. And it's he's giving a scientific explanation of why, as ha- ha- partial man, partial fly, he must regurgitate acid onto his food to break it down so he can slurp it back so up, and digest it, so he can digest it. And he's gone full circle from why would something do this to this is why I do this. And he makes a great speech about how he had a dream that he was a man. He had a dream. He's an insect insect who who dreamed dreamed he was a man. man. Right. And that is so great. When he gives that little. 
And it is, but he's like, it's, I've accepted my fate. Yeah. And he, he's constantly looking for that cure that may or may not come, but either way, he wants to continue exploring himself and what he's become. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I skipped over a lot of my notes, but I think that's the thing about this movie, and that's why it, it grabs you so deep, is because it's not just yeah. run and gun, serial killer, stab them, shoot them, cut them. It's got a lot of deep undertones to it. And it's the slow turn. Yeah. It's the fact that he does, as I said, he felt like he was born again through teleportation. He had a, a messiah complex. Like mm-hmm. He thought he was the new breed of human. Like yeah. He has figured it out, and he can't understand why Gina Davis doesn't want to go through the machine and feel the way that yeah. he does. You know, sometimes you know? you're a drag. Right, right. Exactly. Right. exactly. Exactly. And he's trying to, you know, and he wants to have sex with her for, you know, hours at a time. I, I, yeah, right. She can't do it. And so he goes out to find a woman, and when he does it, he breaks the guy's arm, you know? And that, like, right. And it's like he Serious has, arm wrestling. Right, yeah. And and like, and like, then Gina Davis comes back to the rescue of that, that poor girl who comes that home with him. poor girl, man. And that poor woman. No. And, and you get the famous line. Thank you. There, yeah, I knew we were going there. Be afraid. Be very afraid. You and know? for those of you who didn't know, that's exactly where that line comes from. Because yeah. there's a lot of people... In the horror community that we run into that quote things yeah. and don't exactly know where they're from. <laughs> this is from the fly, y'all. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Yeah. It's from the fly. <laughs> and so it is interesting because she does finally yeah. get it through his head. She tries multiple times and finally gets it through his head that something is wrong with you, dog. <laughs> <laughs> like it's finally when like his skin starts to fall apart and he's right. using them canes to walk around. Right. And it's it's that that's uh, it's almost like an incubational period. Because even then when he still looks like shit, he's like, look, I can climb on the walls and the ceiling. Yeah. You know? Which I love that scene, the oh, way yeah. they handled that. So oh that, well that yeah. that's uh, it's astounding how well it's done because clearly it's a room turning. Right. And how they do that. But how effortlessly he makes it look and oh, the timing yeah. that they had it down and that, that it's yeah. him actually doing it. Right. That's impressive. It looked real good. Um, some of the things about his transfer, I love the different stages of his transformation. Yeah. We didn't just starts- come back one. She didn't come back one day and he was the monster. She, we get to see him go through different metamorphoses. Is that a, is that yep. a good term for that? Yep. We get to see him go through those different things. And at each stage, his attitude turns a little more, a little more each time because he does go through the guy that you're talking about. The, uh, I, I'm the new evolution. I'm the next wave. And then as his body starts to morph and he takes a look inside himself, he his physical transformation turns and his internal transformation goes back to reverts back to who he was. Right. Like, why am I this way? Right. Why do I regurgitate on myself to do this? And there's so many great things in there. And, yeah. Like just the little things, like him watching him peel his fingernails off, yeah. was oh, hard for me so, to watch. Oh. And then when the goo starts coming out of the fingernails, yeah, it's like, oh my goodness! So in the next scene, he's wearing gloves. Yep. When you see him at the computer, almost as if and he then doesn't want to see it. He loses he uh, the voice activated computer. He loses the the identity to the computer. It can no longer recognize his voice. So you the, get the to ear see falling off was great. Right, right. The ear 
And then he puts it in the medicine cabinet with all his different body parts. Yeah. All Just his different it. body you parts. No, I'm, I'm not that guy. <laughs> you are that guy. No, I'm not that guy. It's phallic imagery. There is phallic. There's a phallus in his medicine cabinet. And he says that it's, what does he say? It's the, um, like a museum to body parts past or something yeah. like that. Yeah. He makes that comment like, oh, it's been happening. I'm not real. Oh, that was when his teeth fell off. Too remember because his teeth fell out. Right. So there's just so much of it. Well, and it's scientific too in the fact that he says it's not that Brundlefly, and he starts calling himself Brundlefly. Right. And it's then not that Brundlefly can't eat the food; it's that Brundlefly can't digest the food. Right. You know, and it's it stays scientific, and that's what's interesting too. Should we? Sh- I know we we've gone on a little while on this one. Let's move into a few of the um, like the abortion sequence. Well, that's the next point I was going to make. Right, that's what I'm saying. Let's move into some of those things. Because it's serious. It it really is. For the year that it was made, even more of a contemporary issue. All right. And he says, you know, he goes and, you know, Gina Davis is pregnant with his whatever it's going to be. Right. And uh, the nightmare sequence where it's larva. Yeah, it's a larva. It's a a maggot. And he goes and... And he breaks in and kidnaps her because he's upset. You know, why are you going to abort? Yeah, this is the perfect joining of family. It's me and it's you and it's the baby and we're going to be this or that. But you know? the the thing about it was the thing that the, uh, what's his name, uh, Stathis kept kept saying, we have reason to believe that this baby is going to be deformed. Right. So we're going to abort it. Which it's is not a gonna contemporary be, issue. Right. It's still a modern issue. Mm-hmm. Right. We have reason to believe that this baby might have a defect in its genealogy. We want to abort it. Dude, that speaks volume. I mean, without even trying, Cronenberg's like, we're, we're going to put this in here. Or whoever. But it was like, this is an issue. Yeah. And it was in 86, and it still is, like you said, today. Yeah. Like, I don't want this baby because it's not going to be a perfect baby. Right. Or it's going to be a special needs. Yep. And it being a larva is just... And, it might be because she said that we don't know that there's anything wrong with the baby, but there might be. Yeah, we don't know if this is pre Brundlefly baby or not. Yeah, yeah, I, I didn't need all that to be honest hmm. with 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 the abortion and, and the conversation that the for how slick the movie is, it just didn't fit the vibe of it. Okay. I felt like I don't know, man. It just the the movie's already gloomy enough. <laughs> you know, right. this guy reaches his goal and then just meets misery in the end all the way down to the explosive finale. And to me, I, that was just piling it on. I, I mean, maybe there there's more meaning to it that you guys got from that, that you were getting ready to even go further with. But for me, I didn't need it. It was just, it yeah. was too much. Um, now my favorite thing with Cronenberg movies is I feel like they're hypnotizing and this right. is no exception to that. I right. love that about it. There's a there's a rhythm to them. I, I love scanners. I love Videodrome. Even if they're too weird for your taste, you can't deny, you know, their worth. And and that's what I like about this too is that it's it's very hypnotizing. And and I you know I felt this movie for days after watching it. Yeah. I find this supremely depressing. I like it, um, but it's very heavy, and oh, yeah. and much heavier than I remembered. Like I watched this you know, within the last 10 years, but maybe I've just gotten older and more sensitive to, to things. But whew, by the end of this one, I was feeling it. Yeah, um, man. It's, it's good. It's an excellent movie. 
Um, let's talk real quick about how when she ripped his jaw off, it turned him into his final transformation sequence. Oh, that was awesome. And then it kind of reminds me of, of the finale at Scanners with the music playing and how it just, the the director's allowed to just let it breathe. Right. Which, you know, it's just, it's a great scene. Like it's impressive. all the arms are ripping off, like yeah. skin layers are ripping off. And it's slow by, slowly, piece by piece, we're revealing the fly. Yeah. That yeah. is underneath. And see, if this movie was made like within the last 10 years, that fly would have been halfway through the movie and what we saw the rest of the way. You know what I mean? Like, right. I like that we it saved that for spoiled. the very end. Yeah. Um, man, that ending is very emotional. I mean, it's tough. Yeah. It's hard to watch. I mean, because, because yeah, she rips his jaw off. I mean, and, and like the guy who we hated, uh, I keep calling him Baratheon, but that's a Game of Thrones name. What's right. his name? Darth Thar- Darthraki. <laughs> it's, Strat- it's Stratus Baranus. Stratus Baranus. Stratus. Excuse me. Stratus Baranus. Not Baratheon. Okay. Uh, but the guy we've hated the movie comes to be her her hero at the her end. Her savior, right, right. Right. And, uh, and man, Brundlefly, when he's barfing on him. In burning <laughs> I like how we've been real cool, like talking about deep meanings. And he's like, when Bartlefire barfed on that dude's hand <laughs> and it melted away, that was cool. Like you turned into Chris Farley. <laughs> like, <laughs> you remember, you remember when you barfed on that dude's hand? No, but uh, I agree with you. Yeah, and his and, and his like, ankle, right? In his ankle, and it's like, like this is gonna go through. And like he's trying to get him into the honeycombs. Yeah. To, oh, and- to morph them all together? I mean, that's intense because, like, he still isn't ready to give up on his humanity. Right. He thinks that there's enough of him left that he can morph him and her and the baby all together. And Into they can, one human. Yeah. And it's just agonizing. Yeah. And then finally, when everything goes to shit, he comes out. And she... This is the only part of the movie I think Gina Davis did well enough. Mm-hmm. She can't shoot him. Yeah, she can't do it. She still loves him too much, and he takes his freaking fly, phalange, whatever he's got, <laughs> right? And and puts, puts the, gun the gun to gun his head. To his head. It's intense, son. He's like, yeah. I lost my humanity. Like, right. like that's it. He finally gave up on his any hope that he would be anything else because he merged with the pod. Right. Like in that final transformation. Yeah. Like you see the the oh that's the, right that's the right things growing out of his back he yeah. merged with the pod this time yeah he's like and now I'll give it up exactly he like what he, if what if we saw a Frankenstein movie where the monster realized he was a monster and said kill me and said kill me yeah then that kind of what we saw in Monster Squad bogus <laughs> <laughs> exactly like <laughs> but, he he jumped yeah. into the swirly thing right that's true yeah yeah that's fair I'll give you that I'll give you no that. but I understand what you're you no like a legit like, like a legit that movie. was interesting like to this this was the fly bogus who was full on the fly yeah finding enough humanity to say I'm never gonna come back from this I can't do this yeah. exactly yeah Man. it's emotional like we've been talking about this movie like <laughs> a long time. No, 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 and that's the thing. It's like I could probably still go. Yeah. Because the these two first two were just there. Yeah, man. Man, like if you guys have not seen The Fly legit, like watch The Fly, man. <clears throat> and and I'm sure a lot of you are going to watch it because I know we've got a mix of young and old. A lot of you guys are going to watch The Fly and be like, "Man, I, don't, I didn't see any of that shit. There was a guy who turned into a fly." But honestly, guys, like 
if you if you go into it and just let it overtake you like every Cronenberg movie, like the professor said, it's it's there, man. It delivers. Any closing thoughts on the end, Professor? I think it's- uh excellent movie. Watch it. Yeah. All right. And I got the impossible follow with my choice. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right, though. I kind of like it. Let's change gears. I can't. I we can be swift on this. Uh, we could. I kind of have to be. We're at fifty nine minutes. <laughs> we do. It. We do what we want. No, but I got you. You guys ready? Yes. What's your movie, Professor? Street Trash. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about it. It's from nineteen eighty seven. It's just. It's what it is. It's trash. I mean, it is absolute <laughs> nonsense. Basically. You've got a drink that is being sold out of a liquor store. Um, Its contents are horrible. It's eating people alive the minute they drink it. The guy throws it up on the counter to sell it for a buck. And of course... To the homeless. Yeah, to the homeless. And of course, they're walking out of there and drinking it. And from there, you're basically... It kind of feels like a Larry Cohen movie. Um, Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. That's a good... Yeah, with the... Like like No Country for Old Men. (laughs) Yeah. God, that the group of uh, you know just Transients. New York, New York trash. I mean, and, and it's just nonsense. It's fun. It's, it's you're, there's nothing like it. It's dumb. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, the details, man. Um, like you said, man, Street Trash, 1987, directed by James Moreau and written by Roy Frumpsks. That director, by the way, Frumpsks. didn't direct again until a couple of years ago. Right Literally on. started doing TV. He right just on. did one. It was like no. No, thanks. We got Fred played by Mike Lackey. Fred's our main uh, homeless transient. Bill the Cop played by Bill uh, Chappell. Chappell? Chappell. Chappell. Anyway, Bill was actually a real cop. Really? Bill was a real cop who came in to play this role, man. Like, Hmm. he was a real cop. Uh, We have Bronson, the the coked out uh, Vietnam vet (laughs) who was crazy. Uh, Played by Vic Noto. And um, then we've got Kevin, played by Mark Stravazarava. <laughs> Guys, his name is S-F-E-R-R-A-Z-Z-A. You pronounce it and call yes, me. Yes, dot Carter. <laughs> Nailed it. So, um, I just want to say this right now. Penis and Harry Bush inside five, <laughs> inside five minutes of the movie. I'm, a, I'm, in, I'm on board, son. Yeah. Look, we don't need to dissect this movie. Let's just hit on on some parts, some memorable scenes. Because, I'm sorry. look, the well, basically, <laughs> this is just like a poor man's version of something that you could file in with the category of '80s consumerism movies. Except, exactly. it, except it is not trying to make some profound <laughs> point. You know what I mean? But it yeah. is it is fueled kind of in the vein of like you know they live or the stuff with these people are are just consuming this shit that's killing them. Some of them have seen it happen to other people and still consume. Yeah. And it finally takes the one guy. I can't think of the character's name with, you know, looks like he's still in the disco era. Yeah. Fred to look at it and go, no, (laughs) you know, it's Fred. Fred's Um, the one. Kevin's the other guy. But if nothing else, man, this is worth watching for the grocery scene, the yeah. shoplifting scene. Guys, when look. he calls that woman an old wrinkled honky. <laughs> oh, wrinkled are you going to believe this old honky bitch? Instead? <laughs> <laughs> me, brother. I, brother. Dude, uh, I brother. love that dude. I love that there isn't a main character that it jumps around. It, you just, it just kind of feels like you're taken in the neighborhood. Now, there are some scenes 
Obviously, I do not endorse or I'm a fan of. I mean, clearly with the attacking of the woman in the junkyard, it gets a little uncomfortable at times. Uh, by uncomfortable, do you mean rapey? Yeah. <laughs> Look, yep. can I go through some shit real quick? Yes. Stuff. Yeah, I'm sorry. I've been real good the whole movie. Professor, professor, you do your thing. No, no. I, I was just hitting on high points. Oh, my God. Around doing I, that. The high points in this movie like, are, like a, are so many. Like a cutoff wiener being thrown oh, around to play keep away from I somebody else. That. That's there. Guys, there is a sex scene that leads into a rape scene, and then a Bosch person... Is it really a sex scene, or is it a rape scene? No, no, no. The, the, well, he does kind of take her off from the alley. Right. Okay. She's kind of so into there's a rape it scene. There's a rape scene that leads to a rape scene. There's a rape scene that leads to a rape scene that leads to she a boss pushing himself onto a ploy, an employee, which leads to necrophilia, <laughs> which leads to a guy cutting... guy getting his penis cut a off, and they're scene. tossing it around it. Are you sure I didn't write this flick? A rape I'm scene, not too sure that this isn't something I wrote. A rape scene to a rape scene to an attempted rape scene to a necrophilia scene to a penis cutting scene. Dude, I don't know. It seemed kind of consensual at first. She's just, eyes rolling she, back no, in her she, head, but she's ready to party. See, that's the thing. I, I'm going to sound like such a guy or such a... I'm going to sound like such a Richmond High football well, I mean, player, but talking. she wanted it, dude. She's so right, And she's mad when the bed falls over, which, yeah, is, she's just which like, is a bench from a semi-truck. <laughs> the bed fell over. I thought it was I'm like the far. back seat of a Ford, man. Yeah. It was literally just a bench seat. I'm with you. Dude, the clumps of yellow burning that dude's... Oh, man, when the clumps of yellow fell down after the, the old guy climbed up the fire Hard escape. Game. Love that. Um, everything that was great about the blue and the green and the purple. Yeah, the colors. And the, the colors yeah, man, it was very great. 80s, dude. It was very 80s. I love that. So basically, um, Grizz, when you drink from the pint bottle of the Viper, yeah. your insides turn to 80s color mush acid that burns through your body. And then we, I just want to give people, that's kind of what happens. Yeah. And, it ha and it affects different people different ways. Mm -hmm. Like we got the first guy who literally dissolves and into a toilet <laughs> and then we have the second guy who turns into clumps of yellow that when they fall on people turn into an acid unto themselves and they burn dude's face off i mean this was a very right there movie man well, like it keeps you in it we get this is a, a, a legit complaint i have with the movie is that we get that fun 80s stuff horror film thing in the first 15 minutes and then it's gone for 30 minutes like, we don't get any Viper kills for a long time until after the rape, rape, attempted rape, necro scene. Then it's full-on super Viper kills. And uh, that's one of my main problems with it is that it's just like you get some excitement up front and then a long time with no payoff. But then a huge payoff at the end. Um, the colors are amazing. Well, just amazing. Just what the Viper does to people's body. It's so cool. Um, I like the uh, the glasses camera shot towards the beginning. The guy that gets... Uh, when the, um, the trash guy steals the liquor and he's running around and we get that jinx scene where he's running mm. around, running around. A guy not gets knocked over or hit with a car. Yeah. And his glasses fly off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, the, yeah. Glass, and the camera stays with the glasses. Mm -hmm. That was really yeah, cool. Yeah, that was cool. Um, 
but uh, but let me. I want to talk for a minute about Bronson, the main trash guy, the trash king, the Vietnam vet. <laughs> oh, Mad yeah. Chan brought up. Uh, he is uh, if Ryan Dunn from Jackass <laughs> and Zach Galifianakis had a love child, he would be Bronson. Yeah, just and make him really angry. Yeah, he looks and acts like him, but mad. <laughs> um, I can see that. <laughs> It's, boy, it's about all my notes for this one. Um, I mean, let me just put it this way. To me, like, we'll sit and watch a 90-minute slasher with horrible acting, with no plot, but five cool kills. Mm-hmm. I just kind of look at this the same way. Like, oh, yeah. no, I don't, I, I don't, and I'm not being offensive to you guys. It's just like, I don't know. I don't need much from it. To me, it's worth it for especially the two at the end with the big guy exploding. Right. And then the head coming off on the other. It makes it worth watching for that and a few, uh few decent laughs i agree man the rapey stuff could do could do without that yeah. but they are street trash um my audi became an enemy yep <laughs> yeah uh I, I i gotta admit i do like the car entry it's kind of like a fort kind of like <laughs> that was me, a little I, kid i was imagining that i was like if you go in and you lock the door nobody can get in no, i was like, <laughs> like this, is, uh, this is kind of cool but yeah i mean it i don't know maybe it's a little different for you guys since i picked it and like you had to watch it for a show versus I was just like, let's check this out one night. So I don't know. I had a blast. I didn't just have to watch it. I bought it. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, I'm not regretting that at all. Do you guys like those final two kills though? Oh my goodness. Oh man. There was Uh, so much great about this movie. Uh, I love the decapitation of Bronson with the, uh, whatever sort of compressed air tank that hit him. Um, Felt, felt very Freddy versus Jason. It did. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, I like the gangster kill at the end. Oh, yeah. And the credits, you know. And um, yeah. And then he also sings the credits. <laughs> his yes. song is the song in the credits. He sings about the, his injustice that he's faced. Oh, that's great. Um Street Trash, Mad Champ, playing on your phone. What do you got? No, no, I'm actually I'm trying to look up something. Um, I liked everything in that movie. I kind of throwed a few things out there earlier. Um, the fat guy exploding was cool. The canister kill at the end was cool. It's just uh, there's a lot of different characters that they spin you on at once. That way it doesn't ever feel lacking. You know, it's it's a bunch of different funny things at once. This it's like the, the the woman who goes off and gets killed and raped and then uh, raped in her death was the girlfriend of a mob boss. And the mob boss hates the guy who works the door at his club. And, like, it's just a bunch of different things. Like, I really love the kid at the end who's like, oh, he's like, I'm the new Don now. Get that ring before it gets all You're messed right. up. You know, because he gave him the viper. Um I don't know, man. There was just a whole lot of it. Um, there were some things that took me down. The grocery store scene was absolutely great. It was it was, it was so amazing. The, the dude walking through the grocery store shoving chicken in his pants. Everything, like cheese, everything, but chicken in his pants. I mean, that was great. And they never took themselves too seriously. That's one thing I really enjoyed about this movie. And I was trying to find that fact that I read last night. I'm just not finding it. That's why I'm playing it on my phone. Um, other than that, man... Just fluff. Yeah. Have fun with it. Yeah. It is, man. Like, don't, if you go into this expecting something great, 
Like, you're not going to get it. If you want a Linda Blair movie, you're not going to get it from this, man. Like, it, it's straight trash, mean streets. Like, no, no, man. Street trash is in a category unto its own. Son. One thing I like about it is that's how I picture New York City. Especially at that time. And still. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, definitely at that time. And, it, and it, it is social commentary, too. Not just about consumerism and fast food and stuff like that, but also about, like, the crack epidemic yeah. that was going through. Urban yeah. decay. Yeah, absolutely. It was good commentary for that. Without being over the top. Yeah, like, yeah. preachy about it. It's You're just right. like, let's find some laughs in this mess. And so, like, it's funny because I'm going to New York City for the first time in my life. I've been to 30-some states. And I'm finally going to New York City uh, a month from now. And I, this is still how I picture New York City. It's going to look like this. It's much cleaned up. (laughs) Thank you. I'm glad to hear that. That's comforting. Because that's what I think it's going to look like. Giuliani forced the homeless into New Jersey. (laughs) I laugh, but it's true. No, seriously. It's very much. I mean, Times Square is nothing like what it used to be. It's a, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of good Cleaning up in the city. You'll have a blast. All right. Not too many scary places. Good. Except New York. <laughs> All the people are rude. It smells like pee. That's a quote. <laughs> oh, it will smell like pee. <laughs> if you walk around Manhattan, it'll smell like pee. Uh, so, closing thoughts. Wrapping up. Um, About the, everything or just Mean Street? Or this movie? Street Trash. Mean Street Streets trash. is a... Uh, Linda Blair's Savage Streets. No. no mean this, Streets is... Uh, Scorsese. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Dude, my, my closing thoughts on this movie was I didn't have any expectations going into it. So everything that happened was amazing. And then this was my kind of movie. Mm. There was just boobs and bush. <laughs> and oh, God. But it's the truth. But like there was all this stuff and they were calling people bad names and there was racism and there was just sexism and there was rape and necrophilia. And I was just like, right on. I'm so glad I got to watch this movie because otherwise I would have never, I would have never watched this movie. And now it's been brought into my life and it's something I'm going to make my kids watch soon. And we're going to share this and it's going to become family fun night. And it's so amazing. Thank you for coming into my life. But legit, no, CBS I yes took the baby. <laughs> no, my kids are older. Anyway, but no, legit, this was a good movie, man. Like, awesome. it's, if you don't go into it expecting a lot, like, then you'll be present. It's trash. Just yeah, it'll give it to you. It's street trash. Well, it's an interesting combo we had tonight. It was. It was. I I don't plan on watching this movie again, but I'm glad I watched it. I'd love to have a T-shirt with a bottle of Viper on it. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's uh, it is street trash. Uh, professor, closing thoughts. This is exactly why we do the the mash. This is why we do the monster mash. Yes. You're exactly right. So couldn't uh, be any three further from each <laughs> right, other. Right? Yeah, we could not have picked three more different movies. Yeah. Um, so that being said, closing down. For the Midwest Monsters, I am here with my two wrinkled-ass honkies. I am <laughs> Grizzly Abner, and I'm here with... Matt Chan. <laughs> Professor Wagstaff. Hey, my friends, uh, stay trashy and scary. Drink Viper. <laughs> you wrinkled honky, bitch. <laughs>